Okay, welcome to the Dog End Podcast. Today we are sitting down with Dr. K, and uh, Dr. K is a faculty member in the Forensic and Behavioral Sciences. Okay, uh, we just talked about how that's a new prefix for courses. Uh, okay, so uh, Dr. K, tell us a little bit about your own journey in higher education, your, the degrees you have, and the places you've studied, and also the places you've worked. All right, so I'm Dr. Key Kafer, but because that's long in German, I go by Dr. K. Um, I'm in the criminology department, but specifically under the um, FBS uh, major, which is what he just said. And um, I went to undergrad at UC Irvine, and I figured I could double major and still get through in four years somehow, which seems crazy now, uh, but I did um, psychology and criminology double major. Um, while I was there, I did a couple internships. Um, I was, I went to, uh, it's called UCDC in Washington, DC, and I interned with Interpol, which is the international police. And then while I was there, I uh, also interviewed for, at the time, they still had, um, an internship with the FBI's behavioral analysis unit. Um, so I was there for one fall and then the following fall I interned with the FBI's like profilers. So that, you know, that kind of um, department from Criminal Minds actually interned there. Um, then I realized somewhere in there that um, legal psychology, which is what I consider myself a legal psychologist is a thing. And so I applied to go to graduate school um, right after, like immediately after graduating UC Irvine. I went to um, Florida International University, which is in Miami. Um, they have a legal psychology uh, master's and PhD program. So I was there for six years. Um, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do because I had a nice combination of teaching and research and trial consulting. So I really thought I want to be a trial consultant, but then after really thinking about it, it's like, no, I don't think that traveling all that much is really for me. Um, I really liked working with the FBI, but I know that if you want to be a professor, you have to do it right out of school. It's easier anyways. You don't have to, but it's easier to get a job right out of school. Uh, since I'm from California, as I said, I looked for jobs in California, so I tried to look and apply to any CSU. Um, Fresno was hiring, and um, surprisingly, this is like a perfect fit, which I didn't know really when I was applying. Honestly, I just wanted to get back to California. Um, but the fact that there is a whole subsection now, a major that is legal psychology, basically, but we can't say that because it's in the crim department, but it's psychology and criminology together in the best way. And I get to teach about all the things I love. This is a perfect fit. Um, and really this is the first place that I worked full time. Um, in between graduating from FIU, I did go back to the FBI's behavioral analysis unit for a few months. Um, and then I came here um, anyways. So I, I see myself potentially doing the FBI research kind of thing later. Um, but for now, um, I really like what I'm doing and I can at least talk about what that place is really like. Cause a lot of people are like, I want to be a profiler. I'm like, okay, well, I can tell you <laughs> your real probability of that. And I have even a, an interview with a profiler, um, in one of my classes cause we talk about it. So I try and bring all that stuff in. 
Um, so that's all the places that I have gotten my degrees and studied and worked. Yep. <laughs> Sounds like a novel. Yes. <laughs> I'm a I'm a big uh, spy film junkie and yeah. <laughs> um, so when you said Interpol, I was like, oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, why did you apply to? CSUs and like what was it about the CSU system as opposed to like maybe UCs or private colleges? Um, I applied to all but I really wanted the CSU in particular because I really wanted the teaching focus more versus the research like publishing and a lot of pressure to get grants and things like that. I don't want to feel that that doesn't seem fun to me and even though we still do those things here, it's more of a focus on teaching. So I really wanted the CSU, but like I said, I applied to all um, California schools, even Stanford, and that was kind of a joke because I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna get hired at Stanford. But I got a rejection that said Dr. Kikafer for the first time, even though I wasn't a doctor. So I was like, that's <laughs> Okay, so what is the funnest part of your job? Um, interacting with students and like sometimes depending on like the mix of students and classes you get a really good rapport going so I'm thinking about I just had a interviewing and interrogation course last semester which I teach once a year um, and we had a really good rapport going where there was this um, one girl day that would come to the front before class and she'd talk to everyone and we played games and just had like more of a, I don't know, just like a friendly atmosphere, um, not only like teaching and learning, but just, you know, helping each other get through things, either students or, you know, when I chime in. So I really like that part, like getting to know students. Um, I do research a lot with students too, so I try and I like when I get to get to know them a little bit more versus like 40 in a class and I don't necessarily talk to any of them individually and just mm. all at once. Like I like that, but the in class is, is a big deal as I realized once we were quarantined, I, I missed it. <laughs> we did our best, but I miss it and they missed it like me I really am sad because your class is so fun. I'm like, we'll keep trying, but I know it's not the same. <laughs> yeah. So in the fall, you're going to be teaching FBS 114, 154, and 159T. Once students learn the material and do the assignments in those classes, what should they be able to do? Um, okay, so 114 is ethics. Ethics is, um, when I first kind of took over that class, I thought at, at the outset it sounded kind of boring myself. It's like, ethics, what is this? Um, and we go over the uh, APA, American Psych Psychological Association's Ethics Code, but it's really interesting because you go over various different um, ethical uh, ethical dilemmas and ethical scenarios and you learn like what should a person, a professional in the field do or not do or what things do we need to consider. And so we do it across lots of different scenarios like broadly 
uh, and also um, as in different areas of, of work, like if you work in a prison or if you work uh, in education like I do or in research or therapy, like what are things that we need to consider? So it's really like things that you can apply to the real world um, and we try and actually talk through these different ethical scenarios. So it's actually one of my favorite ones to teach now. Really all of the classes in the fall that I have, I love. So I'm really lucky. Um, 154 is Fundamentals of FBS. And this is like kind of a snapshot of a lot of the things of, that are related to legal psychology. Um, it really gives you a broad idea of where a lot of these things are. We talk about um, uh, what it's really like or how um, accurate detecting deception is, things about interrogation and false confessions, um, eyewitness memory. Um, I'm a big memory researcher, so we talk about that. Um, jury uh, trial consulting. Um, we used to do profiling, but that's in a different class. Uh, the death penalty, I just watched um, Just Mercy last night, and that really mm -hmm. goes very well with that section. I think I'll add that in, or at least say that it's related. Um, it just talks a lot about these different areas um, where a lot of people have misconceptions from popular media. Like we think that people can tell who's telling the truth and who's lying, or at the very least, the police officers can. And the truth is, no, we can't. And no, the police can't, but they think they can. Um, so we talk about that kind of stuff. And then uh, 159T is wrongful convictions. And at this point, that's the only class that I have that still has some openings. But I think also, especially right now, um, with everything that's going on, um, it's very um, not appropriate for the time. It's always appropriate, but I, a lot of times when I say what I teach or what things that I I study, it's things that uh, help us understand how wrongful convictions occur. Mm -hmm. So it kind of follows that I teach a course about wrongful convictions from. Uh, like how could they potentially get wrongfully convicted? Things like, again, false confessions, eyewitness, testimony, snitch, um, testimony, jailhouse informant, um, prosecutorial misconduct, inappropriate or um, inadequate uh, defense, um, what happens after they're out, how there's not oftentimes any compensation for the wrongfully convicted. Um, oh, really? And I am, yeah, not at all, which is really sad. Um, some states have some statutes, but even California, you're, it's not an automatic thing. You have to prove that you're innocent, which is ridiculous. Yeah. So there's this one case that I'm, I'm hoping to have people um, call in uh, either on the phone or be in my Zoom classes. I did actually have a wrongfully convicted person in one of my classes last semester. So I'm like, that's actually a good thing about this is that I could have people join class from anywhere in the country and really not just be for me, but actually talk to people who've been in prison for 10 years, 15 years. This guy was saying how the police threw a chair at him and threatened him with the death penalty and hearing it on a, a you know, a video versus him telling you in person is, is different. So I'm, I'm getting excited about that though. Again, it's sad, but 
these are the things that I really want people that are going into the field to know so that if you're going to be a police officer, which a lot of our students are going to be in corrections, you're going to know a little bit more than the police officers that have been there for decades because they weren't taught about these things. You can yeah. hopefully try and avoid some of these issues that we know are problematic. Um, so I'm really a lot about like what information that you need to know for your career and not just like theories and things. Right. Um, so I think all of those classes have really applicable information for those that are going into the field or if you're just curious about that information in general. You know, selfishly, I think they're all very interesting, but you know, <laughs> maybe not everyone does. <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, for students that are in this major, like, how do you think these classes fit in with their overall experience in the major? Um, two of these are required. So 114 and 154 are required classes. And we did that because we think they're like fundamental for their understanding of the field. And you shouldn't leave if you don't have some understanding of ethics which sad to say i never had an ethics class in my undergrad or graduate career like how did that happen um i don't know but it's um, i'm glad to see that before i got here this was a class that was in place and since i've come we are now requiring it so it's not just an elective um but all of these, uh, even the 159, the wrongful convictions, they're all really fundamental to understanding the different areas of forensic behavioral sciences, how we um, examine things that we think we know about um, and give them the truth and not just what you think based on TV and movies, which is oftentimes where people are getting their information from. <laughs> right. Um, personally, what are you, what's your favorite uh, topic or assignment out of these? Oh, gosh. Um, for ethics, I really like when they get into groups and discuss things and have different points of view, like that they're really, I can see that they really are thinking about and understanding and it's not just me talking, but they're, you know, actually applying the information. I really like that. Um, like I said, with wrongful convictions, I'm getting excited about um, what I can potentially do more this semester. I usually assign like uh, some kind of a project or a paper, mm -hmm. I'll have to think about it, where they go into depth with one particular exoneree, and I'm hoping that they could even perhaps talk to the exoneree um, to really delve into the case and the material uh, that's I, I taught this class a couple of years ago and one student was actually able to reach out via Facebook and talk to the guy um, out in um, Pennsylvania and it really made a big difference and talking to these people just sheds a different light so I think this is something that I, I hope I can do and really change people's perspectives potentially on these issues. Uh, what makes this cl these classes so challenging for students? Um, they're not easy, I guess, but if you, if you stay on top of things and you do the work, it, it shouldn't be too difficult. So I am one that makes you read the books, read the material, 
Um, I have quizzes and things like that. I have papers that you have to follow the directions. One of the biggest things that we see across our courses is that students aren't following directions. And so I'll take off points for not answering the questions or not even watching the film they were supposed to watch. So that type of thing, it shouldn't be challenging, but um, we find generally professors that that's one of the problems we see, but, um, and then studying for exams in an appropriate way and not cramming. So I think in a lot of classes, people can cram and that's fine, but that doesn't work so well for my classes, uh, especially online classes. I'm not teaching any next semester, but I'm teaching, um, I taught a couple last semester and I'm teaching some over the summer now and they, they underestimate how much they have to prepare. Um, I'm actually teaching a memory class and like, I'm not going to let you look at your book and your notes for a memory yeah, class. Memory you class. memorize the material. <laughs> um, and their, their grades suffer because they don't know how to study anymore and other professors don't make them study, I guess. I don't understand. Um, you're like, oh, this whole class is teaching you the strategies that you need to use in order Exactly. They're like, I'm yeah. learning the strategies. They're just not working as well as I want them to. But uh, I guess I also have, I don't just have multiple choice. So that's part of it. So it's not recognition memory of recognizing which answer is correct, but it's recall. Like right. fill in the blank. What is the word? If you don't study in an appropriate way, you're not gonna be able to do that. So that's also part of it. So my exams involve those things and that can be challenging if you don't study effectively. Right. Um, I often tell students that if your studying doesn't like simulate whatever the exam is gonna be like, then it's like playing basketball with a golf ball. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. why would you practice basketball with a golf ball? Yeah, that's a good analogy. Um, okay, so uh, how how are things going to change or how are you going to adapt to this remote environment next semester? Um, last semester, I, I really wanted to keep it going at the same time and do, I did video lectures selfishly because I at least wanted to see a few people's faces and not just, you know, be with my husband all the time and only see his face, which I joke with my students, though they didn't want to turn their cameras on, but I pleaded with them sometimes. <laughs> yeah. um, like, I realize you just rolled out of bed. It's fine. Just turn your camera on. But that's what I'm going to do next semester, too, like to keep me in a kind of a schedule so I can hopefully still have that interaction and not just be like, you do this stuff on your own. I don't. Right. That's not fun for me. It's not fun for them. Sure, it's easier for me uh, if I just potentially put stuff up there and say, you know, do it on your own. But I'm going to have the date and time of the classes. You join the Zoom lecture, try and have some kind of discussion, some kind of interactions, still lecture, try and do those types of things. And like I said, at least for wrongful convictions, try and have people come in from the real world like uh, defense attorneys and exonerees and whoever else I can think of to give more context to the class I think will be interesting. Um, what can students do to get the most out of this class so they don't struggle on their own all semester? I think a big thing is going to be to stick to a schedule and 
I understand that that's difficult because I have the same problems, but I think with the semester starting and with meeting in person, uh, not in person, I guess over Zoom at a certain time that at least gets you into, okay, at this time is when I do this class and then I will schedule myself this, you know, hour or two to read and do homework for this class. So trying to be have like a plan for the week potentially or kind of get yourself in that groove so that you set aside time to do these things especially if you're not having your um if if you're not meeting over zoom or whatever with your professors and you are doing everything on your own you can't leave everything till the weekend and take care of your four, five, or six classes, you're not going to do well if that's the case. You have to keep up with everything. You've got to make a schedule and not cram everything in too much because then you will suffer and we don't want that. So uh, looking at your courses, um, in the Learning Center, we have writing tutors. And I don't know how writing intensive these classes are, but um, let's say you have a few writing assignments, like what advice would you give a writing tutor who, are, who is going to help your students? Hmm. Um, it's tricky. I mean, the only thing I can think that comes to mind is to make sure that they're following the directions at the least, that they are using full sentences, grammatically correct, that they don't have paragraphs that are pages or more, uh, which we can see oftentimes. Um, yeah, that's, that's the main things I can think of at the moment. Um, those are oftentimes the, the biggest issues, not following directions or they're clearly not proofreading right big problems yeah you know last minute papers are hard to proofread is yeah exactly and a lot of times when we see students will see students that have last minute papers um and the the goal there is for the tutor to be honest and say hey look <laughs> you're better off going and you know rather than us wasting a full hour and then the paper is doing a couple of hours let's just spend 30 minutes and you go and do your thing because you need <laughs> as much time as you can get. And we'll try to convince them to start earlier um, going forward. Yeah, I mean, procrastination works only when you are you know, positively rewarded. If you get a good grade, mm -hmm. then you're gonna keep doing it. If you don't, then maybe next time you won't, but you kind of have to get. And what's, what's interesting about people that get good results is when you talk to them and they don't realize their like hidden aptitude. I remember there was a student for chemistry and they would always brag about how they hardly even study and they get these great scores. And I'm like, have you ever taken a chemistry class before? And they're like, well, yeah, in high school. I'm like, oh, like what type of chemistry do you take? And they're like, I was in AP Chem, but I didn't pass the AP exam. Like I, I barely missed about a few points. I'm like, this is your, like you're taking the same class. This is, you know what I mean? And so like sometimes people just don't realize they're hidden that too. Like if they were in the science magazines or super into crime shows or something, then they might have something that other students don't. Yeah. Um, okay. I have some rapid fire questions for you. So these are just one word answers. 
Uh, introvert or extrovert? Introvert. Email or office hour? Office hour. Uh, Scantron or short answer? Short answer. Meat or no meat? Meat. Dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Dark chocolate. What is your least favorite word? Journey. <laughs> Journey? Just the way it sounds? No, I, I just like it used a lot, especially with the, the me being a breast cancer survivor. I think they keep mm -hmm. saying that. And then it's used in so many different contexts. Like it's not, I just, I'm over it. it makes Yeah, me they've taken the zest out of the word. Yeah. What is your favorite word? Oh, gosh. Dogs. Dogs. I love dogs. How many dogs do you have? Two. I have three. Oh, good. <laughs> it, it, it is a it is a an interesting struggle when I have to walk them all myself. Yeah, <laughs> it was good. Three is too many to walk at once. I think. Yeah, it's, it's definitely difficult. I okay. love the mascot, and I have him. I make different like banners and stuff for my classes, oh. like Canvas, and he's all over mine. I have him like walking in prison and solving crimes. <laughs> Yeah, you, you, can you send me a few of those? Those are interesting. Yeah, I uh, I like doing that. I showed them to him, but he didn't answer. I mean, <laughs> maybe he thinks I'm a stalker. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I love Victory. Right. <laughs> Victory is amazing. Uh, we, I was supposed to, um, we did this uh, video showing students how to get access online tutoring, and I was featuring him. Unfortunately, he couldn't do it live. We we're supposed to do like a live Zoom call Aww. of him like coming into tutoring and stuff like that. But uh, I think his caretaker was sick at the time, so Aww. he didn't get to do it. But uh, I'm looking, I'm hoping to reshoot that as where he's actually alive. So that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, um, thank you so much for your time. And I'm hoping that your students get a lot of benefit from this and they're less maybe anxious and more prepared. Me too. <laughs>